Wow, what a wet Wednesday it is out there. Aloha to all of you who are joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. We hope that you are staying safe and dry with all the wet weather we are experiencing. Please do stay connected with the paper for the latest on all the flood advisories. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. This, of course, is Spotlight Hawaii. And today we have Dr. Libby Char from the Department of Health. Uh, some of you may have received an alert that we have some lawmakers joining us. Uh, those lawmakers will be joining us on Friday. That is in error. We have Dr. Char joining us today, and we could not be happier to have her. That's right. Excited to begin this conversation with the head of the Department of Health to talk about the state's efforts with the vaccine rollout and, uh, and her concerns overall with where we're at with uh, some of the gatherings that are expected to happen this weekend. Of course, Super Bowl Sunday is this week. We're also going to be talking about just the prevalence of COVID-19 in our community right now. We want to welcome in Dr. Char to the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's start off with just the general state of where we're at, what we're seeing with COVID-19 in our community, the overall spread, and your thoughts on where we're at right now. So I think right now um, Hawaii is in an okay position. We're doing a little bit better than the rest of the nation. Um, we seem to have, as a nation, crossed the third largest wave uh, and just for some perspective, the peak of the second wave was about 60,000 new cases a day. Uh, the peak of the third wave was about 240,000 new cases per day in the U.S. So tremendously, you know, orders of magnitude greater than that second peak. In Hawaii, we managed to uh, avoid seeing such steep numbers. We did have a bit of a rise, especially tied to Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And we seem to have stabilized from that right now. So overall, we're, we're doing well, and that's just a tribute to the entire community and the efforts of everybody here to, to wear our masks and to you know, avoid all those large social gatherings to the best of our extent. Let's talk about the vaccine rollout. Um, how do you think that is going? When we had the governor on uh, and the lieutenant governor, they both basically said that our infrastructure is great. Our issue is really uh, vaccine doses. What's your take on, on how fast it's happening and if it's happening fast enough? Overall, I'm quite pleased with our vaccination effort. I think we've had really good collaboration across the community here with the healthcare sector, with the uh, federally qualified uh, clinics, and with our long-term care facilities, with our federal partners, our independent pharmacies. Um, and we've managed to get out about 171,000 doses so far. Those are shots given to people. Um, we have mechanisms in place that we could easily administer over 80,000 doses a week here in Hawaii, just with the things that are currently in place. Uh, the challenge is just that we're not receiving not even half of that amount on a weekly allotment. But it's good to know that people really want the vaccine and we're poised to give it. Do you anticipate to see an increase in the number of vaccines that the state is getting? We know that the Biden administration is making it an effort to make sure that those are getting out uh, to the states what are you hearing in terms of numbers and what can we expect to see in terms of the overall dosages that the state will be allotted with? So on a call uh, the other day with the White House team, they are promising that we will slowly see an increase. I think this week we'll get about a 5% increase over what we had in previous weeks and it'll just slowly ramp up. Um, I think the, the big change will come if and when we get more vaccines online and that production um, gets added to what we're currently getting for the two, the Moderna and the Pfizer. Uh, we had been receiving, it was a little bit sporadic and kind of have to remember, we've only been getting vaccine for about, what, six weeks now, just since mid-December. 
Um, seems like for the last few weeks, we've been getting about 35,000-ish doses per week. And then this, this past week, so what should arrive on island this week, we've gotten 40,200 doses. So we're already seeing a slow increase and we're promised a little bit more of an increase this coming week, things that we can order for next week. So I'm very, very optimistic uh, that we'll, we'll see our allocation increase. Just wish it was a little bit faster. I want to ask, uh, Lokilani Koholo asks, have both variants UKB uh, from the UK basically and California been identified here? We saw some news about variants yesterday. What can you tell us about what's in our community and what that means we should do to protect ourselves? So the, what we have identified as a variant in our community is the L452R um, that's been seen in at least six other states, lots of it in Southern California. Very little is known about that variant right now. And it's not really clear whether that's got, you know, if, if that's a lot more contagious than, than the other um, variants or, or wild virus, um, or whether it has anything to do with making you sicker, uh, being more virulent. What we're worried about is that we have picked up a couple of samples that are suspicious for um, the B117, the UK variant, and we know that that is significantly more transmissible. Um, while it doesn't seem to be entirely more virulent, it doesn't make you sicker per se, it's very, very easily transmitted. And so we don't know yet that that's what it is. We have some clues and the state lab is just working overtime to do the whole genomic sequencing. It's a process that takes over a week um, and we should have an answer back by Friday as to whether or not that is in fact the, the B117 UK uh, variant or not. Um, State Lab has been doing surveillance since uh, June and, and that's why they were able to pick these, these two cases up early. And then thanks to you know partners like, like Diagnostic Lab Services, they picked up a couple of samples that they also are seeing as suspicious and so they sent that to State Lab and, and we will be looking at those as well and doing the whole genomic sequencing on those samples as well. Getting back to the vaccine, we heard from the Biden administration and their plans in the rollout of the vaccine that they would be sending vaccines to these pharmacies and communities to get them out quicker. Wanted to get your thoughts, uh, just as we hear of Long's Drugs and CVS planning to do that as well. Do you think that this is a good idea to be sending it out to pharmacies and not necessarily being able to be all controlled by medical entities like Queens and what we're seeing here with Hawaii Pacific Health. Do you think that the pharmacy rollout is something that will help the community overall? So what, what this pharmacy rollout is, what you're referring to is something we're calling the Federal Retail Pharmacy Program. Um, what that is, is it's, a, it's just a small foray into getting vaccine into the community pharmacies. Um, and it's on a very limited basis right now. They're doing it nationwide. And what they're doing is sending a small amount. So for example, a million doses nationwide. So that's gonna to translate to 4,000 doses. Uh, they selected the pharmacy, they selected the location. So I think right now it's a, a very small phased ramp up. So maybe about six or seven pharmacies across the state will be receiving vaccine. Um, and again, it comes out to like a couple hundred doses. Um, so maybe a hundred or so doses per week. So not a lot. But I think they're just trying to get the machinery in place so that if and when we have a lot of vaccine and we can push it out there and it can become like flu shots where everybody can go into the community and, and get vaccinated. So this is just a small ramp up of that. 
Um, we're told that it's not going to come out of our current allocation, that this will be above and beyond. Um, and again, we're not talking huge doses um, at this point in time. We didn't choose the pharmacies. Um, that was designated by the federal government. Do you think those pharmacies perhaps will be able to reach people who might be in areas that are a little bit more remote? I saw that there were a number of neighbor island pharmacies on the list as well. So I think that the it will be nice to have it in the community where people can access it a little bit easier. I, I'm not even sure what all six, six or seven of those pharmacies are yet, but yes, it will be scattered across the state. Um, I think the real way that we're gonna get into the remote communities is again, that strong partnership with the federally qualified healthcare centers. Um, those folks are in the communities, they're part of the communities, you know, whether it's a geographic challenge, a cultural challenge or some other um, situation, I think they're part of those communities and are gonna be much more successful at reaching that population. You know, earlier this week, we heard from the lieutenant governor who spoke about the vaccine rollout and his thoughts on where we will be, say, right before summer around May or June. And his thoughts were that we could be at a position where we could now begin having uh, large gatherings once again, things that you mentioned, weddings, possible graduations, uh, allowing people the opportunity to gather in person because the population of our kupuna, a large population would have already gotten the vaccine and some of the younger populations who maybe not wouldn't have, have had the vaccine yet would still be uh, you know, someone that would not necessarily be infected or impacted by COVID as prevalent as maybe the older you know, population. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on his statements on whether or not you think we will be in a position to have some of these larger gatherings that time around summer? So I'm, I'm optimistic that the more people we vaccinate, the better place we'll be in um, because it will minimize the amount of disease that can be spread amongst our community. I think it's a little too early to call because there's so many factors that will affect um, the situation of the community as a whole. If we get variants that are very highly transmissible, that's going to change things for us because the amount of people that will need to be vaccinated in order to achieve herd immunity will go up significantly. Um, it also depends on the vaccine supply. So as noted, we could easily administer a lot more vaccine than we're currently doing just because we don't have it. So if our supply ramps up quickly and we have a lot more vaccine, we could get a whole bunch more people vaccinated and that will protect our community. So I think it's a little too early to call. Um, I'm optimistic. We're definitely moving in the right direction. And I'm sure we would all love to get back to being able to do, you know, go outdoors and, and meet with friends and gather with loved ones. Um, we're moving in the right direction. I just am not ready to say how fast we're going to get to that place yet. I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, his threshold was basically 1A and 1B. And when those are done and we start to get to the 1C, that's when we can start to have those gatherings. What's your threshold? At, at what point, you know, what percentage of our population needs to be vaccinated for you to feel comfortable to go to a potluck or, you know, a small party? Um. I don't know that I would base it on on the uh, priority groups just yet. Um, there are an awful lot of people in 1C and, you know, it includes other essential workers. Um, it includes uh, people 65 and older. It includes people who of, of all ages that have comorbidities for illness. And so I really would just like to focus more on making sure that we're getting vaccine to people who need it and get through 1A, 1B, and 1C um, without putting 
any kind of stipulation on, oh, if we get through 1B, then, then we're good to go. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, that still really need to get vaccine. Um, and, and I just like to get it to them as soon as we can. Want to bring in another question from Stephanie now asking, can you talk about contract, uh, the contact tracing efforts and how that is working at this point in time? We know that this was a concern from the department early on in the pandemic, uh, which has since seemed to be resolved. Can you give us an update on, on where you're at with contact tracing and how things are going on that end? So that's a great question. There's been a lot of focus on vaccine, obviously, um, and it's very relevant, but I think we should bear in mind that the vaccination is just one piece and one layer of keeping our community safe. So we still need to be paying attention to you know, doing testing and identifying people who are infected with COVID. And we still need to really be diligent about doing contact tracing and about isolation and quarantine so that if people are infected, we have a safe place to take them uh, so they're not spreading infection amongst household members and others. Um, with regards to contact tracing specifically, uh, we're still maintaining you know, almost 300 people for contact tracing and that's spread across all four counties um, so that when a case pops up, we can definitely, you know, track it down and, and make sure that, that we're not dealing with large clusters. This is gonna become more important if we start seeing some of the very transmissible variants here. Um, it's gonna be really important to do the contact tracing because we wanna limit the ability of that particular variant to spread to others in the community. Judy Keith has a question. She says, according to NPR, National Public Radio, most states are using 65 as the cutoff for this cohort of immunization. Why is uh, 75, why is it 75 for Hawaii? Seems like younger seniors with comorbidities should be able to get the vaccine. This points to a larger question, which is basically, when is it my turn? I think there's a lot of people who are super eager, uh, understandably, to get the vaccine. And they feel like, hey, if I'm 70, you know, I, I, I should be able to get in line. Or if I'm 68 or, or wherever you fall uh, in that list, or I have diabetes or whatever um, health issue they might have. So, so why 75? And, um, and as you tell people to sort of be patient and wait, what is, you know, what would you say to Judy and others who have those concerns? I would love to get vaccines for people like Judy. I would love to vaccinate not, not only 65, but even, even lower than that age and everybody with the comorbidities and the other health conditions that put them at higher risk. Right now there are over 100,000 Kupuna 75 and older, and they are clearly at higher risk from an epidemiologic standpoint. Um, so it behooves us to try and get them vaccinated first because they are at the highest risk of being in the hospital, being in the ICU, and of death. Um, it really ties back to how much vaccine we have. Uh, if we had unlimited vaccine supply, we could definitely get to those 65 and older and to all of those that have comorbidities and other health problems, but we just don't have that amount of vaccine yet. So we're trying to prioritize to get the kupuna that are highest risk first. I think we've gotten through almost half of the kupuna 75 and older. So you can see that if we had opened it up to 65, the percentage of Kupuna 75 and older that had been vaccinated would probably be significantly less. Some of the states did open it up to 65 and older. Um, and some of our colleagues on the mainland in a call yesterday, they said they did that for a while. It was absolute chaos because they had so many people trying to get vaccine. And they're in the same boat as us where they just don't have enough. They ended up changing it back to 75 and older in an effort to prioritize a little bit better. You know, there's a lot of talk, of course, of the vaccine that is making advancements. We are waiting for the Johnson & Johnson as well to come online. And, and there's just been a lot of excitement and talk about that. 
Uh, but wanted to ask you about what is being done for those who maybe have gotten COVID-19 and find themselves needing medical attention. Has there been any developments in terms of a treatment that is being used, not necessarily a cure or anything like that, but any sort of treatment medication or, or something that will help to for those who are getting COVID-19 that might help with the recovery efforts and not make it as prevalent, being that there is some form of care for those who get it? So there are um, several medications right now that we know uh, are beneficial in the treatment of COVID-19. Uh, some of them are, are types of steroids like dexamethasone for those in the hospital, as well as a medication called remdesivir. Um, and we have been getting allocations of, of the uh, remdesivir from the federal government, and it's available to all of the hospitals locally. We have a pretty good supply in our state, um, and that's doled out to the hospitals as they need it. There are a few other medications, monoclonal antibodies, that have been developed and are also available to us statewide. Um, we're passing it on to the hospitals as, as they request it. Some of those are good for treatment up front. So if you get diagnosed with COVID, but you don't need to be in the hospital yet, and in fact, if we can catch you in the first week, um, we can administer those medications if it's, if it's appropriate. Um, and then there is convalescent serum. So people who have had COVID who now have antibodies to it can donate blood and we can take their plasma that has antibodies and administer it to people who are very ill who need it. Um, some of the concerns with the variants have to do with some of those treatments. Um, could those treatments be less effective because of the new variant that, that those antibodies don't quite recognize the new variants to the same extent? And so there's a lot of issues with, with the variants. This, this pandemic is just changing so rapidly and coronaviruses kind of in general tend to, you know, mutate quite quickly. Cynthia Jostrand has a question. When will 1C start and will it open to everyone at the same time? Uh, when you look at the, the tranche that is 1C and even 1B, when you look at who qualifies as an essential worker, it's pretty massive. Um, and also when we talk about comorbidities, um, how do you determine, you know, which ones count? Is that something your doctor does? Is that going to be an honor system? How are you, I, I mean, how are you sort of categorizing within the categories? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think if you look at 1B, because it's, you know, over 200,000 people, if we just said everybody in 1B, go for it. Um, I think what would happen is you would get a bunch of people in 1B that really need vaccine and also that maybe aren't so savvy at getting those appointments and, and signing up. And I think they'd get left behind. And so because it's such a large group and we have such limited supply, we're trying to be much more mindful and sub-prioritize the groups. So for example, we're, we're trying to get the 75 and older vaccinated right now, as well as uh, 1B essential workers. And because there's so many of those, you know, well over 100,000, we're trying to, again, be mindful and, and say who's really at greatest risk um, really, truly high risk and frontline and get those people taken care of simultaneously with the 75 and older. And I think as we get through that 1B, it's going to be the similar a similar situation with 1C, where, again, it's well over 100,000 people, a couple hundred thousand people. So depending on how much vaccine we have, if at that point we have just unlimited vaccine and, and we're giving it out as fast, you know, we've maxed our capacity, we could probably be a lot less prescriptive on it. Um, so it really depends on how much vaccine we have. And then again, within the 1C, you know, if, if we need to, then we will prioritize to say which of these 
you know, 150 or 200,000 people or, or, or more really should be getting a push first and kind of a head start on that before the rest of the 1C goes. We would love to get everybody vaccinated and we will get everybody vaccinated who wants, who wants a dose. It's just, we don't have enough vaccine to do it right now. We are making good progress and, and we absolutely want everybody who wants vaccine to be able to get a vaccine. When you look at the current trend by the state and our numbers, it seems to be going down, as you had mentioned at the top of the broadcast. Uh, but one event this weekend could change things. Uh, how concerned are you about Super Bowl gatherings and what could potentially be happening this weekend? I'm really concerned about Super Bowl gatherings this weekend. Um, you know, if we look at things that we're telling people to avoid, right? So outdoors is better than indoors. Uh, far, being farther apart is better than being close together. Uh, wearing our mask is better than not having a mask. And you look at the ingredients for, for a good Super Bowl party and it, it's all the wrong ingredients, right? We'll be indoors and we'll be gathered for three hours or more. And we won't have our masks on because everybody's going to be eating and drinking and we'll be cheering loudly for our teams. And that's just a recipe for disaster. And we're really, really encouraging people, please watch TV at home, you know, gather with your own family to watch the game and your, and your own, um, you know, your, your close family that you live with. We can share this experience. We can, we can all watch the game at the same time and we can Zoom with each other and whatnot. But please, please avoid the temptation to gather and to have large Super Bowl parties because just as we saw with Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's, um, if people are gathering, we will see a bump and we will see a spread thereafter. And if we start getting variants that are much more transmissible, uh, we could be heading in the wrong direction really quickly. So please resist the temptation, watch the game, have a good time, but do it with your own family and your small cluster and not with a whole bunch of people. Because of these variants, some uh, some people have have suggested that we start to double mask. What's your what's your thought on wearing two masks uh, in certain situations? So the mask wearing is a trade off. I think the the key is to wear a mask, and we want something you know that has several layers so that it it filters a little bit better and is more protective. But it's a trade off because if you double mask, it's a little bit harder to breathe through. So if you're going to get into a situation where you then can breathe and you're pulling the mask off, then, then that sort of defeats the purpose. Um, I think if you have a good mask and it's got at least two or three layers um, in it and it's got layers that filter and, it's, and it fits you well and we wear it, not just over your mouth, but also your mouth and nose, um, that, that's a good strategy. And in places where, you know, if you're going to be in a lot of contact with people, such as our first responders and whatnot, then we have them wearing N95 masks and, and higher levels of protection, like in the hospitals. As you know, we have a new mayor and a new administration there with uh, the city and county of Honolulu. And we talked to Mayor Blangiardi about the tier system that was put in place by the Caldwell administration. And he had talked about potentially making some tweaks to the tier system to allow the opening of bars sooner than where they're listed as in tier four, as well as potentially allowing some sort of group activity for youth sports. What are your thoughts on those areas where they may be listed further down in the tier system and any adjustments that might be made such as bars and youth sports to allow them to come back uh, quicker than what had initially been outlined in the tier system? So I think what's really important is that we look at the activities and we know which ones are really, really high at high risk for spreading disease. Um, 
we know that we've had clusters in bars. We know that we've had clusters in restaurants and, and it just makes sense, right? There's, we're not wearing a mask. We're sitting in close proximity. We're there for well over 30 minutes or an hour, um, usually talking loudly and, and we're in close proximity. So those all, again, just like with the Super Bowl, those are all ingredients for, uh, for a bad, bad outcome in terms of spreading disease. Youth sports, I would absolutely love to get our kids back out active playing again and i think that we have enough data now that we know that there are some safe ways that we could do that for certain sports um that certain ones are higher risk and certain ones are lower risk but it really has to be looked at um in context because a lot of the issue with the youth sports isn't actually the sports activity itself it's all the gatherings that surround it the potluck you know parents obviously are going to want to watch their kids play you know, and so you get into gatherings on the sidelines or people sitting in their cars are having potlucks after it. And, and that's very problematic. Um, I think Kauai has been particularly successful in getting youth sports up and running again. Um, so I would like to get youth sports. I think that would be great for our kids. Um, I would absolutely love to get kids back in school. Um, and it's just a matter of what mitigations can we put in place and, and everything else that surrounds that. And then, and then having some sort of enforcement so that we make sure that we're doing the right thing. Once the Johnson & Johnson vaccine comes online, and that is expected uh, relatively soon, will people have a choice as to which vaccine they can get? In other words, if I feel like I'd like to wait for Pfizer or Moderna, um, but I'm offered Johnson & Johnson, should I just take what I can get? Or are you allowing people to kind of choose which one they can, they can get? So with regards to the selection of vaccine, um, I, it's absolutely voluntary for everybody um, and it's entirely up to you whether or not you choose to get vaccinated. We typically are assigning vaccine to, you know, the hospitals and to the uh, pods out in the community. Um, so it kind of depends where you end up as to which vaccine they will have. Uh, when Johnson & Johnson comes out, we will absolutely, once we have supply, get that out as well um, to the community. So it really depends on where you go and that's probably going to be a bigger determinant. The Johnson and Johnson and, and those, if we can get single dose vaccines, that may be more useful in certain circumstances where it's really difficult for people to return for that second dose to get fully vaccinated. So some of it might depend on the logistics, but it's completely up to you as to which vaccine you get and where you go. It's just that at any given pod, they probably only have a single choice of vaccine. You know, you had said, mentioned earlier that the vaccine is just one part of this toolkit against this coronavirus. Uh, the other toolkit, of course, is just knowing who has it and who doesn't, of course, through testing. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the availability of testing as we move further into this, this whole experience with more tests coming online, uh, the possibility of having more at-home tests. How likely do you think that is? Do you think there will be more increased availability and a lower price point for some of these tests and how will that impact our ability to somewhat get back to more normalcy should there be more availability of tests for people to purchase on their own? It seems like we are getting more and more test availability um, as new companies come online and it also seems like the price point is coming down. Uh, with regard to antigen tests, I think they're very reasonable if you can do serial testing. So for example, if you can test yourself and then a few, couple few days later test again, um, that's pretty reliable. So even though the sensitivity may be lower, you kind of make up for it by being able to test, you know, two or three times in that in that week or, you know, every every week testing. 
And again, the sooner that we know somebody has COVID, the better it is because then you know you can take precautions and do the right thing and keep yourself away so that that vaccine doesn't have another host that it can jump into. Um, I do see the price point coming down and I think at some point we will get to a point where people will have testing available to themselves in home. We're trying to be really diligent on the Department of Health side and in all four of the counties we're continuing to do testing. Most of the testing right now we're not charging for, we're just trying to get it out into the community and hold you know, testing events that people can go to and get tested because so I think it's really important and we also want people to have access to it and not worry about the cost or anything. So we have been continuing to advocate for testing widespread in, in all four counties. You know, I think one of the most difficult things about all of this is the uncertainty. And one of the things that when you look at the Department of Health's website, they have the tiers of tranches of who can get vaccinated when. Um, and when you look at that, and also we asked the lieutenant governor about this, and he basically said that his hope and, and his estimation is that by July 4th, um, that anyone who will want a vaccine will be able to get one. And I think that gives a lot of people some comfort because it doesn't seem that far away. It's far away, but it's it's within reach. Do you think that that's a realistic timeline? Um, because, you know, like we talked about earlier, so many people are clamoring to get this vaccine and at least knowing that, okay, at least by the summer, I'll be able to have mine. Do you, do you share that timeline? So I think it really depends on how much vaccine we're going to receive. Um, and I don't have a good sense yet of, of how much we'll receive, how quickly, although we know that it's trending in the right direction. I think, you know, by our calculations, having the capacity to get that vaccine out to people, if only we had the vaccine, I think that at least by the end of summer, we would be in a really good place. Um, if we had all the vaccine that we wanted and that we have capacity to administer right now today, we could probably get everybody vaccinated within the next, you know, few months. So. I think that's not unrealistic. Um, again, we're just waiting to see how much vaccine we get. As we round up our time here, because we know that our time is up, just wanted to give you one last opportunity to share your final thoughts. Uh, any other message that you may have for those watching and tuning in here today? Thank you. So I think the message still is one that everybody's tired of hearing. Um, we are in a good place in Hawaii. We're you know lucky you live Hawaii. We're doing a good job here. We're getting vaccine out to people. Um, we will be getting more vaccine. We're moving in the right direction. We still need to do those things that are proven to work, whether they're variants or not variants. Wear your mask, keep your distance from others, um, avoid large gatherings. We know that that's where disease comes from. So to the extent that we can do that, that's gonna help keep our community safe, no matter which you know, wild type variant, anything like that, keep ourselves safe. Uh, please go to our website at hawaiicovid19.com. Have a look-see. There's all kind of information there, and we're trying to update it on a daily basis. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Libby Chart, head of the Department of Health. We so appreciate your time. We know you're very busy fighting COVID-19, and we appreciate all of your efforts. Thank you again for being here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Aloha. Well, there we heard from Dr. Char, a lot of information being handed out there. Of course, she's saying and echoing the statements that we've heard from the governor, from the lieutenant governor saying they have the capacity here in Hawaii. It's just a matter of getting the vaccines here on island and looking forward to the opportunity to get more of those vaccines as more companies come online, the Johnson & Johnson one. Of course, a lot of people waiting for that one-shot vaccine to come online as well. Uh, she's saying, you know, look, if we had the opportunity to get 
everyone in the state that wanted to get the vaccine, uh, we this could take us a few months, but realizing that it is in such high demand and that it's going to take some time. Uh, so she was pretty careful about saying and providing any timeline on when things would restore to some sense of normalcy, but saying that a lot of it will be dependent on the availability of this vaccine rollout. Yeah, much more guarded uh, on those estimations than the lieutenant governor was when he was with us just a few days ago. His estimation was that uh, we could start to see gatherings in May. She walked back from that and said it really depends on how much vaccine we get. She did urge people to be patient um, and and sort of explain why they're doing uh, people in the order that they are doing it. Um, and, and she was very thankful to the people of Hawaii uh, for all of their compliance and asking people to please refrain from any gatherings this weekend. I know the game is tempting, but that could really set us back. Yeah, a lot of concern over what could happen this after this weekend. So we'll have to track to see how those numbers pan over the next few weeks. There also have been a lot of questions and, and comments about that variant that was reported yesterday. And th that could be part of that variant that we're seeing over in the UK. She's saying that the state health lab is working tirelessly to figure out what form that is and that she hopes to have some sort of answer by the end of the week. We'll continue to keep you posted on what they find out and if that would be something that is found to be here in the community. Yeah, and that was troubling, you know, to answer the question that you asked about about treatments, that the treatments that we have, we don't know uh, how, you know, how effective they are against all these variants. So the number one thing we can do is prevention. And that means wearing a mask. She did not say that we need to start double masking, although I have seen that out in the community. I know a lot of people are doing that. But basically saying if you have a good two to three layer mask that fits well on your face, that should do it. So um, great to hear from her this morning. Yeah, we got a lot of insightful uh, in, information about what's happening there at the Department of Health. And you think about it, Department of Health has really had to step up over the past uh, few months. You, you think about the state entity and all the departments that the state has to manage, a lot being asked of the Department of Health, the officials there and the teams that have been working really hard. So our hats off to all the efforts by those workers who we know are working around the clock uh, on so many different levels from vaccine to testing to numbers to variants. I mean, just a lot more. And, and that's only COVID-19. Of course, there's other health issues going on in the state as well. But the health department certainly doing a lot of work and we're very thankful for the work that they're doing. Yeah, and reassuring to hear that the contact tracing program is working well, is fully functional. Um, we know that there were some concerns about that early on in the pandemic, and then also with the disruption of uh, federal money. So good to hear that that is still up and running. On Friday, we're going to pivot to talk about something uh, not quite COVID related. Our focus turns to the legislature and to Aloha Stadium. We are also going to be talking about the budget. So there, there of course, coronavirus affects that. Yeah, we know that some of you may have saw that alert that came out uh, earlier this morning about that. We'll be talking to uh, Rep. Sylvia Luke, who leads the budget efforts and the finance uh, area over at the House side. And we'll be also talking to Rep. Aaron Johansson, who represents the area where Aloha Stadium is. And we'll be talking to them about the future of the stadium. So we encourage you to join us for that conversation again on Friday. Thank you all for being here. Please uh, share this video with your loved ones. Stay safe out there. And please make sure that your Super Bowl is socially distanced. We'll see you on Friday. Aloha.